Hey, Carter, are you angry, too? Yeah. How come? I can't see my forehead. What's your problem? I got a great idea. No one else thinks so. Me, too. <sighs> Inflatable pants. What's your idea? I want to do a whole month of podcasts about SpongeBob SquarePants. <gasps> Forget my dumb idea. Let's do that. Welcome back to Disney Desk, everyone. Carter here. <laughs> and Sydney. And welcome back to what I think is an idea. It might be our best idea. Yeah, this is up there as ideas that I am probably most excited about um, yeah. in, in all of the ideas that we've had. And that is the summer of Sponge, baby. Welcome to July. The Summer of Sponge, an entire month dedicated to all things Spring Boob Squire Pant. That is correct, our favorite show. Um, and, you know, some of you may be thinking, like, oh, I thought this was a Disney-themed podcast. Well, stop thinking that. <laughs> yes, this month we are going all in. New theming, new branding, literally five episodes this entire month all about Spongebob because, I like, I, I don't... You know how YouTube videos usually do that thing when they're talking about a subject where they're like, Mario is the most successful property in Nintendo... Mm -hmm. Like, they always have some kind of, like, preamble where they explain to you whatever they're talking about yeah. even when it's, like, very obvious. Like, right. I, like I don't, we don't need to explain to you, like, how big Spongebob is for our generation, right? No. Like, I feel like we can just skip that That's part. why we're doing this, yeah. We, we're doing this because, yeah... Spongebob is probably the single biggest intellectual property amongst our generation, and therefore it needs to be covered here. But, you know, I think, I think we should mention that the reason that we've decided to n not just dedicate a single episode to Spongebob, because this could have easily been just like an, in other tunes. You know, we, we've right. got a segment for, for um, things that are not Disney that we want to talk about, and we've done it many times before but there is so much that we have been meaning to talk about in the realm of bikini bottom um that it only right. made sense to delicate to dedicate a month celebrating all things spongebob yeah it, it like it's an institution unto itself it is mm -hmm. the closest thing our generation has to simpsons so it's like yeah. you know what let's take the time to really give it its time in the sun. There's so many different avenues we want to talk about. A single episode just wasn't going to cut it. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're excited. We hope you're excited. Um, already, I mean, we're not even one episode in, and this has already been a lot of fun to prepare yeah. for, to think about, to talk about. So this is going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm... This is the most excited I've been for the podcast in a while. Yeah. Like, kind of having Disney Channel month, uh, my birthday month, and this sandwiched in between. Yeah. It's been some very fun planning and theming. Um, we're starting off with the, sort of the most obvious episode first, but before we dive, uh, 
Why did water puns? Listen, it's gonna be a summer of water puns for us. Yeah, just embrace. The, that's what we're doing here. Water puns. Yeah, embrace the magic. Embrace the the kelp. Embrace the pun. Yes, um, but before we get into all things Bob, it is time for what I think is going to be a very contentious Internet Minute. All right, Sydney, what is your Internet Minute? This week, I want to talk about some of the progress happening um, on construction on Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Because there are some really cool pictures coming out on Twitter um, of Frontierland and what they are putting together there in its place. So, um, let's see. This is from the Disney Parks Twitter. Um, This is from, like, a few days ago. Um, It's such a shame that we're not getting this until 2024. But, um, so... For the ride, because this is like a water ride, it it'll it has its own like water tower that like goes mm. with it. And so they posted um this tweet says Blue Skies and Sunshine of Frontier Land at Walt Disney World are looking a bit more regal this morning. Overnight, Disney Imagineers installed the Tiara topped water tower that will be the centerpiece for Tiana's Bayou Adventure when the attraction opens in 2024. So, so yeah, so um, the water tower looks like this giant barrel um, mm. that says Tiana's Foods, established in 1927. I didn't even notice that. But, and so we, and we knew about, like, this Tiana's Foods thing. Um, yeah, we talked about this before. Right. And, but it's this, um, this, like, her tiara, they placed, like, a, giant tiara on on top of it and it looks uh really awesome and someone else on twitter noted that the tiara have you seen this oh yeah yeah okay actually you know forget me for not thinking about this as i'm like of course sydney would do this as her internet minute oh yeah as soon as i saw this i added this to sydney's screenshot emporium um, we are the princess and the frog peeps, of course. Right, that's what I do, this. yeah. Eighty um, percent of our reputation is staked on the existence of this film. Exactly. <laughs> but like on the tiara is um two little stars, like the star and the second star mm-hmm. to the right. And somebody was like, Oh, it's it's Ray and Evangeline. Um, but it's just like such a pretty te- like I do love this aesthetic of like this rustic looking barrel with true with like her lily pad tiara on top of it. Right. Um, with this like art deco. It looks yeah. like art deco. It looks like something yeah. you'd see in like the twenties. And that's and like that's sort of what makes this movie so magical is that like that Gatsby like twenties art deco mm-hmm. um style that is on all of like her dream sequences and everything like that. Um, but yeah. what I just love, I, I, I love that there is like a new wave of energy that seems to be, you know, ushered in with the construction of this new thing. Like I love, um, that there seems to be like a lot of excitement internally for this, um, that right. feels really genuine and like wholesome. And, um, I, you know, I can tell that, that they are happy to sort of wipe the slate clean after, um, 
I'm forgetting the name of the last ride. What was it called before? Splash Mountain. Oh, Splash Mountain. I was truly complimented. You were trying to think of a like a title that made more sense in the context of... Yeah. I was totally overcomplicating that, yeah. Obviously, it's Splash Mountain. Um, Which is wild that they didn't change the theme earlier, considering they didn't right. even have to rename it. Right. It's a mountain that splashes. Right, yeah. Doesn't even need critters. That's pretty... Just have it be a ride. Right, exactly. <laughs> Literally, no meaningful connection to the no. unfortunate source material. Right, right. So, yeah, this, you know, on our, like, on our Disney Desk bucket list needs to be at least one good Disney World trip. I mean, ideally, we visit all the parks in the whole world. Could you imagine if we we did that? Like, even the ones abroad and... Oh, I would love to go to Disney World Japan. I've heard that's really cool. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it really is a testament to Disney's, like, brand managers and, like, creatives where I'm like, okay, they made the barrel. I would have never thought to use Tiana's tiara yeah, right. as a, like, piece of iconography. Right. Which I've always been like, well, you know, Snow White has the apple, Cinderella has the shoes. Tiana doesn't really have, like, a piece of iconography. No. She's a frog for most of the movie. Yeah. And then I'm like, that cool lily pad crown. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, like, I'm, like, you know, it's sort of better late than ever on on establishing some sort of iconography for her. Um, Because as I've complained about about the movie and about her as a princess, is her, like, is any of her iconography being associated with cooking? Even though that is her thing, I've always sort of resented that. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, we've talked about that. So I'm glad that it's not, like, a spatula. (laughs) But <laughs> oh, God. that would be, yeah. Um, well, actually, now that you say it, it's really weird to me that like, because like Great Gatsby was huge for our. I mean, it's huge for a lot of people, right. but for our generation, it feels like it had a really, really big blow up. And yeah. maybe that was just contained to our high school, but seems like it. But it, but but the more people I ask, it seems like that's a pretty common like required reading. <laughs> right, like. Yeah, because the movie, like, blew past its original box office projections, and everyone was trying to figure out, like, how did this happen? Really? Mm. Great Gatsby. And it's like, yeah, if you worked at a high school, or if you went to high school for a certain era, this was just standard reading. Right. And it's weird to me that, like, I think Disney, it would behoove them to lean into sort of the 20s of it all. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what they'll do, because they are working on sort of expansion material for Tiana. Right. Like, we're getting a we're getting a YA book, we're getting a spin-off show, we're getting a ride, mm-hmm. you know, a, a theoretic live-action movie, but, like, mm. you know. We, no, thank again, you. when they start announcing things in 2027, I'm like, that doesn't exist. Right. It doesn't Don't exist until it's here. Don't even talk to me here. about that, yeah. Until I see literal images right. of it. I refuse to believe any of this is actually going to happen. Exactly. All right, Carter, let's get into it. What what are you, what have you brought today? So, since we did Guardians of the Galaxy, I've liked Internet Minute as an opportunity to talk about Disney films that we don't necessarily want to dedicate a whole episode to for either reasons of spoiler or we want to talk about something else that day. So, I saw a movie about a mermaid. Oh. Specifically, a mermaid. And get this, get mm-hmm. this. Who's very tiny. You're kidding. 
I, I some would say she is in fact little. No freaking way you saw a little mermaid that doesn't even exist. Just I just am now imagining Steve Jobs at one of his when he's like introducing the iPhone for the first time <laughs> and changing media with his fucking turtleneck and his little like right. and he's like this is what a phone has yeah sneakers. this is what mermaids have been right. for this long. <laughs> now imagine now click imagine. and they take like the J <laughs> or the PNG and it's just like compressed down <laughs> if it were little and all of these like tech journalist bros are just like oh, oh my god. And then, like, nec- like, next to it in, like, tiny, like, letters is, like, $1,900. <laughs> Look, sh- shrinking technology and mermaid technology is on the cutting edge of science, Nicole. It, it's not easy to achieve mermaids of little proportion. Obviously. It's just Apple stock price. It, it's not even a diagonal line. It's literally just a straight a, line up. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like no time is passing. It's just going up. Right. Um, anyway, so, yes, I did see Little Mermaid. Um, Sydney, you saw it, oof, you saw it, like, the weekend it came yeah, out, Yeah, right? actually, my mom and I went to go see it mm-hmm, pretty early. Yeah. Well, one, I'll do a quick re- uh, recap of my odyssey to see this damn movie. Oh, God. Um, so, as I've said, you know, I have immunocompromised parents. I try to, like, I try to pick and choose times where I'm not going to be in too big a crowd of a movie theater. Also, I just like having a big theater to myself. Yeah. I don't think that makes me evil. I like a big room where yeah. I can yell and hoot and holler and watch a movie. And, like, we, um, it, it should be noted that, like, even though we talk about animation, we don't like being near children. If we can avoid it. It is weird. That we pick this as our niche, and I'm just like... And if there's going to be kids well, I hate there, teens I'm more. not going. I hate teens more, and then I... I like, it's teens, then kids. Like, okay. my first screening was going to be a lot of te- teens, and I'm like, this is why we need to invest in mall infrastructure. It, it yeah. quarantines all of them. Gives them somewhere a to go. Bubble. Yeah. So us adults can enjoy the rest of God's splendor in this right. country. But I digress. Anyway, so there's like a so we've been having Florida weather up here in Pennsylvania. Like, random rain... Like, it'll be sunny one minute like lightning another minute super humid and anyway i get to a theater and the lights are flickering a little bit and i'm like there is no way the power is going to go out on me and then finally someone comes into the theater and goes hey so they the lightning kind of fried a bunch of the projectors we can't get this one on and you're you're free to go to a different movie if you want and elemental like the screening had already been an hour in and i refused to see this flash for like seven thousand reasons so i'm like (laughs) ugh it's fine. And they give me a free ticket to come back, and I come back two days later. Literally never happened to me before. It is so unnerving to, like, be sitting in a theater and told, oh, it's just nope. not happening today, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Um, anyway, so I think we have very different opinions on this film. Would you like me to get my yeah. five minutes out and then this you count This is your in? internet minute. You take the lead here. <sighs> okay. So for me, as we discussed in our one Patreon about, like, why make these live-action movies other than getting the brand sort of revitalized. Um, For me, the appeal of... Like, for me, the interesting idea is if you have an interesting pitch for taking this well-worn tale, this tale that has existed before Disney and will exist after Disney gets turned into the Apple company or something. Like, do you have an interesting angle? Do you have a different energy you can bring to it that wasn't in the original material? And for me, so much as I'm watching this movie, I'm realizing like, oh, this was what Rob Marshall has been trying to do for forever. He wants to do 
a gaudy sort of golden age of Hollywood romantic musical. Like, I think for me it clicked when we get to Under the Sea, which, like, people complain about, like, well, you don't see all the, you don't see all the fish playing the instruments. He's just saying things. And I'm like, yes, but I love how this is shot because it is literally shot like a 40s, like, show-stopping musical number where we're, like, transitioning from set to set with this, like, sort of magical logic where, like, we have this group of dancers. Like, the minute it clicked for me is when we're watching these, like, flappy pancake fish flop in and start dancing with these zebra-colored fish. And I'm like, oh, this is literally, like, like, this is literally, like, early-era Hollywood of, like, oh, these things can talk now? Let's sing and dance. Mm. Um, Like... And, like, to the point where we get this top-down view where it's literally, like, one of those spiral rotating stages where you'd have your starlet on the top and, like, all of her background dancers on the rotation. And, like, so much of that energy for me carries through the entire film. How all of the musical sections do have this very, like, clear sort of theatrical staginess. I think compared to Little uh, Beauty and the Beast, what really works for this is they lean into the dreamness of it all. Mm-hmm. Like, when she's singing, when Haley Bailey is singing... Haley Bailey... Hallie ba- Bailey. See, because it's Bailey instead of Barry. Right. So my brain wants to also make Hallie that. It's, oh God. Would it be never funny there, if we right? just, like, separately recorded us saying, like, Hallie Bailey correctly and then just edited over, like, every time? I have gotten very close to doing that <laughs> for a couple things. Like, we, w- w- in our original Relakama Rel- episode, I got so many names so fucking wrong. I'm like, I might just, I might just dub over this. Yeah. But I digress. Anyway, anyway. Like, when she's singing for the first time, there's a bit where she's just getting, like, prepped up to meet the prince. And literally, it's like a spotlight is on her as everything else goes dark. And I'm like, yes, lean into the fact that this is a fucking musical. Like, stop with... Like, one of the things that really annoys me coming back to Beauty and the Beast is how hyper-realistic it is for some reason, mm-hmm. despite being in an enchanted castle with sentient furniture. Right. Like, this... Like, at, at no point, even when we're on land in the real world, does this go out of its way to make any of this feel, like, quote-unquote, realistic. Mm-hmm. It is a dream space. Like, even the way a lot of the choreography is done, like, this little dance section we have in, like, the market, like, the choreography is so pointedly designed to feel like we're watching people on a stage. It, again, it goes back to that era of Hollywood where it's like, oh, well, theater is the closest thing we have to a relevant visual comparison, so let's make let's just film theater and mm-hmm. make a movie. Right. And, yeah. So for me, so much, like, this film ends up, like, exubing, like, like, like radiating this, like, perfectly theatrical energy on top of the fact that it is, like, yes, again, it is so much to be said about just getting good, like, Broadway, like, theatrical actors and putting them on this. Like, the difference between the romance with, between Eric and Ariel here compared to Belle and Beast in Beauty and the Beast is staggering. To the point where it's like we're having this really nice meet-cute where they're just hanging out in, like, a library. And I'm like, how the fuck did you do a library scene better than Beauty and the Beast? Right. That's not how that was supposed to go. Right. And, yeah, it just underlines, like, how much great performances carry this. How much, like, fun choreography can carry this. And, like... It, it for me it just avoided all of the pitfalls like Beauty and the Beast or Lion King did of like over feeling the need to over explain things feeling the need to quote unquote correct things or feeling the need to be like well if we're doing this in live action we have to justify it by making it as realistic as possible for me it's just like 
And maybe I'm just starving for a nice musical and a nice romantic Probably film. Probably a lot of that. And a nice rom-com. <laughs> and on top of that, I'm like, even the photorealistic fish end up working for me. Because it seems like they took the notes from Lion King. They're like, we have to animate them more cartoony, mm-hmm. though. They have to like be very exaggerated to sell the performances. Mm-hmm. So even the fact that I'm looking at a real-ass crab, I'm like, yeah, but it, I can tell its personality right now. Like, I'm getting a performance out of this. I'm not just getting a lion scratching its face. Right, right. I'll probably do, like, a longer review for our Patreon, but, like... Yeah, you can yeah, continue for me, it's just notes like, from the host. For me, it goes into the lion, or the um, Jungle Book uh, Cinderella category, where I'm like, this is its own thing. On its own merits, it's a good film. Okay. And a meow. And a meow, for, for goodness sake. Um, you know what's so interesting? I have a more negative... I had a more negative experience watching this film than you seem to be, but but it's so interesting because in hearing you say all that, I don't necessarily disagree with with your positives um, about it being on this sort of large show shopping scale and that and that being the positive things about it. I didn't one hundred percent hate this movie, but um, I I I did kind of. I just had a little some some technical issues with the script itself. Like I think a lot of my issues are with the script and for certain performances I did not think were very good at all actually. There are parts for me that don't pay off well because they are not really well established enough at any point during the film. For instance, like why show us all of these like mer people at the end if it doesn't even like if we're never really shown them like if 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 the only times i've ever seen them is in this like very one-dimensional like blank sort of just like oh these are like really muscular pretty people and like here they just are and some of them are people of color Mm -hmm. And I kind of have this grievance with the sisters who in the original have a lot of personality. I mean, like they're they're in half of a scene where they talk and they are filled with like so much sass and personality. And, you know, it's like I feel like certain things are done to sort of appeal to the audience and get our attention, like having them be totally like race blind, like having them be all different races inexplicably. Um but then it seems like we... And changing their names? Why did we do that? Yeah, see, I'm not the... I... Okay, okay. So, like, I got all that gruff on our trivia episode for not knowing all their names. They just have new names now, so... They have stupid am names Am I the loser? Now. They have dumb... Like, like, come on. Even the Kardashians named them all, like, K names. Like, why? Like, what? why did they have to change their names? But then they're all, like... But then they're all the same character. Like, every single one that speaks, when they open their mouth... They're the, it's they're like, the, humans stink. Yeah, and they all just have this weird, like, Narnia-esque sci-fi language, like, gibberish that they talk, and... Okay, I will say... Do you know what I'm talking this about? Is a, <laughs> yes. No, I agree with this argument, only because it ties in with a criticism I had. Yeah. A very obvious criticism, if you know me. It very much bothers me that I like what the, I like. I like how Fathoms Below sounds, but if it's not like it's weird that part of your world is the first song we hear, and then we get Fathoms Below. Yes. Like, if you're gonna do that, 
we can't see the surface before Ariel goes up. Like, right. I really like that the first time Ariel's ever gone out of the water is when she sees all these fireworks. I love that whole sequence. Like, I like one that we just have this cool physical pirate ship set because it reminds me of Pirates of Caribbean yeah. without any of the baggage, and it just looks good. Mm-hmm. And, like, it sells you on Eric right away where he's yeah. just swashbuckling, like, swinging around, doing fun stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is how... Again, if these remakes are just to get us, like, more dimension to the princes and make yeah. them, like... Aspirational characters. I'm like, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, like, nice, awesome. And again, it has this nice, like, sort of old school Hollywood where, like, Grimsby's, like, explaining the exposition where he's like, now that you're this, you have to be. This has to be, yeah. But but it's annoying because it's like, okay, so we need, like, a workman theme song before Party of the World. You can't have the I Want song be the first song. That's just, it's against the rules. You can't do right. that. So why not have the Daughters of Trident sing? Yeah. Why don't they have a song? Give them a, new, give them a new song if you don't like the original. Like Right. But it's like, you know, you, in the in, you know, in the last episode we talk about Luca and how it opens with these two fishermen, like, we're sort of... It's kind of helpful to have them there in some capacity to establish this, like, relationship between mm. mer people and real and human people off the bat. I always thought that that was really important to the little mer- to, to to the original little mermaid. That's that's right. why it's important to have that like fisherman song up front. Like that is the yeah. mood that needs to be established and it looks dreary and grim and like gray on the surface and then like you descend into this like Atlantis paradise. Yeah. That contrast is always supposed to be there. I I prefer it there. Yeah, like, the bones of it are here. Like, I like the idea that they keep hyping up this idea of, like, the sea gods are judging us, the sea gods don't want us to do this or that. Like, I like the idea that they lean into, like, the force of nature that is, like, mer people. Yeah. Like, like, it's one thing I like when we get to the boring boss fight part at the end. We never actually see Ursula, like, she's hidden in rain, and I'm like... I like that they made this look like Godzilla's about to throw down with King Ghidorah. Yeah. Like, I like that it's, like, a force of nature hurricane sort of mm-hmm. thing. But, like, you needed a song. You needed a song to set those rules up better at the beginning. Right. Um, I don't know. And that's just, like, a little nitpick. But, like, yeah. I do think... I, like, I do think that's a structure thing that really should have been fixed. Yeah, and then, like, you know what I hate is, like... Like, my biggest complaint is just, like, I felt like they budgeted their time really improperly because then towards the end of the movie, like, we have these utterly stupid conversations that go on between Ariel and King Triton. Like, they have to do so much talking on the back end to, like, actually fill in a lot of story that they, like, that they probably didn't need to be there. But I'm like... Okay, this is starting to like sound and read like a fan fiction a little more than it is. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like at the at oh, the end these conversations that they're ha- they're having I'm like, yeah, why are we talking this much? And you know what? Maybe I would feel better if I felt like the acting was stronger. I felt like some of the acting was kind of weak, but maybe that's just me. I guess yeah, I will say I do wish they got someone else for King yeah. Triton. My two criticisms are restructure the beginning to make it more mermaid heavy so we get a more of an emphasis on that um well my other criticism is while i'm really impressed with a lot of the underwater effects i wish they didn't like because they digitalized basically neck down for all of them could you not have done torso down right like they're actually really and a part of that's because i work at a ren worked past tense at a ren fair and like there were all kinds you know they would rent out mer people to like hang Mm -hmm. out um 
Like, you can do cool stuff with prosthetic tails. <laughs> right. I would have liked to see that a little more. Um, but that and... I feel like Haley and Javier have really good chemistry. They and when do. Javier's allowed to just, like... Like, when he's... When they're allowed to, like, not just repeat notes from the originals... Right. Or, like, give exposition. I'm like, oh, I see why you picked Javier for this. Yeah. But, like, I would have preferred someone a little more musically inclined. Because maybe that's a part of the problem. Mm. You're like, you centered the world of Atlantis around someone who really can't sing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I just, yeah. I don't know. But, like, for some reason, everything else is strong enough. The parts that are so strong are enough to, like, like overcome that for mm-hmm. me. And I'm like... Yeah, this feels like, I don't know, it's what I would have wanted, uh, so much of it's what I would have wanted from A Little Mermaid. I got you. Like, remake. And I also just also <laughs> greatly appreciate that the songs they added compared to that god-awful um, Aladdin song actually feel like they belong <laughs> with Howard Ashman's previous work. Mm-hmm. I mean, not Scuttlebutt, but that really did feel like Disney's like, come on, Lynn, we hired you for this. Can you give us a little Hamilton? Yeah, give us some like, hip-hop. Well, all right. And he's like, that's fine really that's really racially profiling but okay and you know he decided to be nice about it and wrote Mm -hmm. that but like the other two songs i'm like yeah i liked eric's song so right yeah yeah and i like ariel's song because it has like a weirdly like i did like that sequence i kind of i'm surprised that that i liked the sequence of her like singing in her head yeah, like, that works. And it just, like, the song's tone works for me because it feels like Howard Ashman in terms of, like, being a classicist in terms of, like, understanding the traditions of Broadway but also having a little bit of a sharp edge. Like, there's a whole sequence of that song where she's just like, oh, are we just, like, we are just food to these people. Holy shit, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I digress. I, like I said, I want to write out my thoughts a little more when we don't have Spongebob looming over us. Right. Um, you know, but I, I I hate to say it, I really liked it. Well, good. I'm glad. And you know what, to be fair, I think everything requires more than, at least two viewings before you can actually come to a clear consensus about it. So I'll um, say that. Can I tell every? Can I tell everyone what you said um, when I said I was going to take 10 minutes for this? Yeah. <laughs> so I said, I'll just use 10 minutes of internet minute time to cover this film. And Sydney, exact quote, I believe, was, you have never talked about something for 10 minutes in your life. Yeah. Uh, and the sound and that rung out throughout the Pennsylvania was uh, me just dying. Yeah. Exploding. <laughs> burned to a crisp. Uh, guiding, like, like I was like a regular show villain and just imploded. Um, okay, wait, you're, okay, I know we haven't started talking about Spongebob yet, but can I tell you one of my favorite Spongebob quotes? (laughs) Yes. That comes from, like, spoiler, that comes from one of my favorite episodes when he tastes the snail poe, and, like, he goes, like, blah! And it, like, echoes through, and then they cut to, like, the snail poe company, like, in a board meeting, and they're, like... I sense a disturbance. Like, I don't know why that's my favorite moment. And they just... <laughs> I just... That whole episode... Damn it. Like... This is gonna... We're gonna go off... Yeah. This is, We need this to, like, ease us in because we're going off the fucking handle <laughs> in, like, five minutes. Right. At least we picked a movie that was themed water. Yes. <laughs> oh, and if I do elemental, that... Okay, okay, good. We're... All right, we're on the right track. Water. Water. Good. Here we are. 
All right, enough is enough. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain. I cannot hear you. Aye, aye, Captain. Oh, and now back to your scheduled programming. So, a lot of episodes we start with sort of our history with something, and I think this is probably the most appropriate that's ever been, because so much of this series is going to be defined by our specific nostalgic memories with SpongeBob. Right. So, just give me the goods. Tell me about, like, what are your earliest memories of SpongeBob? How did you get into SpongeBob? Well, um, that's... That's interesting because I almost don't have any memories without Spongebob. Like, when you think about it, like, we were born, like, this show came out in 99 and we were born in, I was born in 96. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, when I be, like, became cognizant of, <laughs> of uh, media around age three, like, here was Spongebob. So... I don't I don't remember I don't have any memories of a time of of not consuming SpongeBob all the time um and it being like I could definitely say that like this was one of my favorite things that came on TV it was one of those things that I had I remember wishing came on more often or that I was like home enough to see often or or anything like that um but I I, I'm pretty sure I've always loved Spongebob very dearly and it's so hard to like define that in any way because it just seems like the default in so many ways like it's, it's, right. it is the meat and potatoes of of my yeah of my childhood I, it, it's our I'm gonna listen this whole month you're gonna hear me make so many references to the Looney Tunes but like this is our generation's Looney Tunes um, for for so many yeah. reasons. But, um, yeah, this was an absolute mainstay for me. Did I ever tell you that my, like, did I ever tell you that around, like, later in life when I was in, like, middle school and going into high school, my nickname was Squid growing up? Like, that was my childhood nickname. Yeah. I told you about that. Well, I've, I... I know that you had a lot of squid-based names for, like, yeah. your social media handles, so and, I figured that oh, yeah. was something. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, a not-funny story about that, and it, it's been so buried, like, since I graduated high school, but, like, yes, from about 6th grade until 12th grade, I was exclusively identified by the name Squid, and sometimes Squidward. Even in middle school, I was on the cheer team, and, like, we had these, like, hoodies made and I had Squidward put on like the back of mine like like people had like their last that's, names I had Squidward on mine um, that's actually insane yeah yeah when I think about it now but like yeah that name like it was a name that I did not choose for myself um to tell the can I tell like the brief story of, of how I got the nickname because it's not a funny story like I wish I had a cool story for this episode's good this episode's gonna be two hours just okay. accept that now and we'll both be happy. excellent <laughs> it's not a funny story like I wish it were an interesting story it's not it's just a name that started one day when I was in sixth grade um Mrs. Martino's English class and like this kid 
I won't, I guess I won't say his name. Um, he just decided one day to like, that it would be funny to call me Squidney instead of Sydney. And then like a bunch of other kids like thought that was funny. So then like, um, everybody like in my class just started calling me Squidney or like squid or whatever. And then like, you know how middle school works, like things just kind of like spread for like in seconds like you don't know how so then like in oh I have even less funny stories about that yeah and so then like in my science class like two days later I had to like give this presentation and it was like the same group of kids that were in that class too and as I was like walking to the front of the room to like give this presentation like he started this chant, of, and everybody in the room just started chanting squid words, squid words, squid words. And um, it's like, I, when I say it just started one day, like, it literally just started one day. It's not even funny. But And then one day, like, I, I was mortified by this, but one day I realized that it was kind of an awesome nickname. Like, it's sort of cool. And so I just, like, adopted it, and then, and then yeah, everybody called me squid even at summer camp like I just like took that nickname with me everywhere like that just I think to this day people may remember me more commonly as being called squid than even Sydney so yeah Uh, so that's my history with with the word with squidward Uh, yeah and then like on Facebook like I would use pictures of squidward as my profile pictures so I just like identified as squidward for a long time I, well, I, yeah, I mean, I knew parts of that, but I didn't realize how, like, how much it went. Yeah. Um, So what about you? I mean, it's, I, well, you know, I'm about to say something really esoteric and weird or abstract. Um, So my earliest memory, um, my earliest memory ever was just, like, it literally was like a video game. Like, thinking of when I became conscious enough to have memories, it was literally just like I plopped down in the middle of my house, and I'm like, hmm. And I just knew everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, brother, mom, right. family. And it's kind of the same way with SpongeBob, where it was just like, oh, yes, this is SpongeBob. It's yeah, on. obviously. What and it was like the be? early episodes. And like, yeah, and it's, like, it was the earliest episodes, too. Because, like, I remember seeing the pilot over and over again. Yeah. And that was, like, one of the few episodes they had. Right. Um, yeah, like, and we'll talk about the pilot as we go forward. But, like, it's so weird because I'm trying to think of... I was trying to think of how to describe our generation's relationship with SpongeBob, which is something, you know, we'll be talking about this whole month. But, like, right. it really is, like, a hell of a thing that we were born kind of right near the end of Simpsons time. Like, Simpsons was, like, I believe, like, season five-ish. Like, right getting to the part where people started to feel like the wheels were coming off. I'm pretty sure the year, like, 1999 was the year um, Homer's Enemy comes out, which is an infamously, like, people consider that, like, the last great episode, like, when everything went downhill because it was just so insane and, like, dark. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... And then we were born right into literally the start of the next Simpsons in terms of, like, this universally understood, like, I- household iconography. Right. Like, everyone knows what a SpongeBob is. Right. Honestly, it's so funny looking back, like, watching all of, like, these little documentaries about SpongeBob 
and like they'll cut to news footage where like the newscaster's trying to talk about SpongeBob and literally can't get the name right. Right. And it's like, imagine there was a world where that was a or thing. Or this didn't exist. Or it was just about to be- exist and people were trying to learn it. Yeah. yeah. Or people were like, what is this weird thing? Yeah, I'll say, like, my mom always tells a story about how she and my dad, like, made a point to sit down to watch this. Like, I, I like I said, I was probably three at the time. Um, and she, she, like, she remembers distinctly, like, the premiere of Spongebob and it being very hyped everywhere to the point where, like, these two adults were like, all right, like, we've got to see what this is. <laughs> <clears throat> like we've got to find out and you know what's so interesting is like she says that the the first episode that they aired actually wasn't what's listed here as episode one it was episode two this the the bubble blowing episode isn't that interesting oh yeah you're right i kind of remember that because i remember in my head always being confused what the first episode was yeah because nominally like in my head i'm like well it's the bubble blowing episode it's them all playing with stupid bubbles and lifting squidward's house up yeah the technique episode no no the first step yeah and then i'm like technique um god that's gonna be so much this fucking month uh (laughs) but like and then in my head like help wanted is the second episode because then it's like spongebob's gotta get a job yeah but in reality it's like no that's the first episode Right. And when I watch it back, it makes so much more... It does make sense for Help Wanted to be, like, a proper pilot. Like, that is... Even... And it was confusing, because even the narration going in, when he says, like, oh, of course he lives in a pineapple. Uh, like, he introduces him. Yeah. And and I always thought that, like, that that sort of clears up that confusion as to, like, why is this random episode, We're like, like introduced? Yeah, already. we already know. Like... But but yeah, yeah it was sort we're of already bought aired in. out it's of order. One episode already. Yeah, so yeah, no, yeah. it's it it is wild because at the same time, yeah, like I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from thinking back to my nostalgic memories. Just like how it really was Simpsons, where it's like everyone knows this. Yeah, I remember one time in like third grade, we had this project. It was literally like the project was like archetypes and tropes. Which I'm like, that seems a little high end for third graders <laughs> in English, but okay, I'll I'll play along. Yeah. And it was just like there are certain types of characters in media, like you know, the best friend, um, the, the straight you know, man, yeah, the nosy neighbor, oh yeah, the you know, the Boss. shrewd businessman, yeah. And literally, all of our examples, if they weren't Simpsons, were SpongeBob. Yeah, ninety percent of them were SpongeBob. Right. And it's like that's how ingrained Spongebob is in culture where it's like, oh, it's just a reference point for like nine different, like, cult- like it's a reference point for all of, like the rest of culture. The rest of culture, you use Spongebob as your reference exactly. point to understand it. And yeah, my parents too, like know all the characters, right. even like the extraneous characters, like Larry the Lobster. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, five years later, they don't know any, like I reference Teen Titans and they're like, What's they that? don't know who the fucking Teen Titans yeah. are. You know, even, but like... Spongebob has cross-cultural impact. Exactly. Cross-cultural. Like, um, like cross-generational, yeah. Um, and it's so interesting to, like, to reference this, like, parental aspect of it. Because, like, growing up, I remember specifically that there were, like, specific episodes that were more funny, and I understand it much more now, but that were more funny to the adults in the room than they were. <laughs> like, there... Like, um, mm. like we, we're going to talk about our favorite episodes, but even, like, in preparation for this, like, my mom, and even, like, my aunt, I remember her, like, all adults love the Sailor Mouth, um, episode. 
Like, that's just their favorite one. Um, and I get it much more now, but, like, the, the cursing one is was popular among adults of the time. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and that's, like, another thing with Simpsons, where they have, like, episodes that are so geared toward kids, like Bart the General or something. Mm-hmm. Or they'll have an episode like Life in the Fast Lane, which is, like, about Marge possibly cheating on Homer with a bowling guy. Okay. There's a guy who bowls. Okay. It's his whole, her whole personality. He's kind of French. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it is wild. And like, it really is like, you realize how, like, because even when we stopped watching, which I would say was like, what, 2006-ish, 2007, mm-hmm. like definitely like later middle school into high school when it stopped being like always on for me. Well, I was just going to say like, from my perspective, I remember making like an intention to stop watching because I didn't like it anymore like it wasn't just that like I sort of grew out because this was a time when we were when we like you know cable television was getting really advanced with this technology and we were having these like tv guides on the screen Mm -hmm. where you could like see the details of an episode and I, there was, like, a clear point yeah. for me where it was, like, if SpongeBob... The on-demand era. Yeah, if SpongeBob was on the guide, I would look at the info, and if the year was anything bigger than 2006, I wasn't watching it. Like, I didn't want to watch it. And I remember, like, making a clear intention with, like, like being selective with the SpongeBob episodes that I wanted to see. I did not want to see anything past 2006, because that is when I decided it stopped being funny to me. God, that is so interesting. Isn't like, it? <laughs> that is way more sophisticated than anything I've ever done with my life. <laughs> um, yeah, like, it, like again, it's interesting because we talked about, like, me sort of falling out with animation and cartoons in general. And SpongeBob kind of was in a middle ground on that. Because, like, I wasn't watching regularly. But at the same time, if episodes were on, I'd watch them. There is way more of, like, the quote-unquote dark years in my brain than I thought there were. There's a lot more, like, core memories from that era of Spongebob. And I remember every single event episode. Whenever they would do, like, a big event, and I remember they would hype the shit out of it. Yeah. They would just go all in on, like, uh, friend or foe, and it was the one about, like, yeah. Like, yeah, the one where they, like, see the future Bikini Bottom, um, mm-hmm. the, that I know, remember the one where they get trapped in the air vents of the Krusty Krab, and they're implying that, like, Sandy's gonna marry Spongebob, um, Atlantis Square Pantis, which is probably my least favorite episode, if I had to pick one. Really? I don't even yeah, remember that. Like, but it's, like, it's wild that I just remember all of those yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, because the, the marketing for those were so intense and, like, repetitive. Right, and that's, like, and, you know, I was still watching, like, at least, like, the live-action stuff. Like, I was watching, like, iCarly. I was watching Big Time Rush. Oh, yeah. God, if there was any way we could crowbar Big Time Rush into the mantra of our show. Um, You know, I was watching all that, so then I was getting these ads, and I was like, yeah, Spongebob, still important. Mm -hmm. Yep, still important. Right. Um, Yeah. Um... Before we dive in, unless you have any other thoughts about sort of your memories growing up with Spongebob. Um, no, let's get into... I can dive into sort of the history of the show. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to talk... I just want to do the cliff notes because I do think a lot of, like, why the show is successful, or at least things that interest me about the history of the show, kind of ties in with, like, how it's created. 
So, like, I, I'll go over the cliff notes. You guys, like, if you're an animation nerd, if you've listened to enough of this show, you probably know the important stuff. Right. The show was created by Steven Hillenberg. Um, he grew up, like, he grew up in a military family, was raised in California, surfer guy, um, was super into marine biology. Mm. He ends up um, getting a degree in marine biology and working at the Orange County Marine Institute, where uh, basically they find out he has a passion for art, and they're like, hey, can you make some, like, you know, can you make art for us? Mm. And he creates a web, he creates a little, like, comic called The Intertitled Zone, um, which would be this little educational comic that explains to kids, like, hey, here are these ecosystems, and here are all the interesting creatures you can see in them. And pointedly, a lot of it was narrated by Bob the Sponge, who looks like a real sponge, like the sort of... Mm-hmm. Like, like a kitchen sponge. Sp- yeah. yeah. Not, or, like, the opposite of a kitchen sponge. Oh, he looks like a sea sponge? Um, Yes, okay. he actually looked like a sea sponge, okay. like Spongebob's parents. And he also looks like a 90s snack mascot. Like, he has big Chester <laughs> Cheetah Kool-Aid energy of, like, hey, big kids, Chester Cheeto energy. <laughs> oh, my God. Big Chester Cheetah energy. What, right. Um, and it's kind of, like, it's one of the, it's so weird to think about, like, oh, he just started to get way more interested in the art stuff. Like, he was taking, yeah. like, leftover trash and stuff from the Institute and making, like, statues and stuff he was like designing like murals and then he just goes you know what i'm gonna give this cartooning thing a try right and he goes to cal arts which as we've discussed disney is University. like the very famous sort of yeah disney pipeline studio mm-hmm. um and in the 90s just started making shorts um there's a really great um there's a really great uh, short he made called Wormhole that played the festival circuit that starts with like a cellular like on a cellular level and keeps expanding out and out to give you a sense of perspective. Mm. Like they're like, yeah, I believe this guy made SpongeBob. Right. And pointedly, he gets noticed by Joe Murray um, of Rocco's Modern Life fame because that show is just getting started. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I can see why this guy would see this and go, oh, he's a director. I need him. Right. <laughs> he starts working on Rocco's Modern Life in the '90s. And, you know, which was Nickelodeon's first in-house cartoon. And, you know, it ended three years, you know, a normal length for a TV show. Which, again, to underline how insane SpongeBob is, like, there are no peers left. Futurama came out the same year, and it's on its third reboot. Wow. It got canceled three, or it canceled slash ended three different times and ran through syndication. But anyway, so someone just tells him, like, hey, why don't you pitch this, like, tide idea you have clearly this is like where your passion is so he sort of like he um you know he shapes it up he like tweaks it works on it gives it more of like the personality we know right um i do i do love that he references peewee's playhouse as an inspiration. i was gonna he's mention like, peewee herman as yeah yeah he's like i wanted to make this sort of like happy-go-lucky character like who's perpetually optimistic mm-hmm. and always trying to you know be optimistic right um, and you know the one scene that really sums that up the best? What? Um, from the movie. You know the Pee-wee movie, right? Pee-wee Herman's Big Adventure? That's, like, one of my favorite yes. movies of all time. Remember when he's in, like, the biker gang bar, mm-hmm. and he, like, pisses them off, and you're like, how's he gonna get out of this one? Mm-hmm. And the answer is Dance. obviously. <laughs> he puts on a pair of high heels and dances to tequila. And everyone, instead of these biker gang, you know, these bikers with like who are threatening to kill him, obviously threaten to murder him, immediately are charmed and give him a bike so he can go on his way. Exactly. They give him an escort. Yeah. Yeah. And like, 
in the first SpongeBob movie, there's a scene where they're going through sort of like the rock bottom esque area of like sea monsters, and a <laughs> sea monster picks them up. It's about to eat them, and SpongeBob and Patrick just start hey, like that thing where you go like, right, and the monster just goes like, and then s- signals over to his friends like, hey guys, get a load of this, and they all end up being so inspired that they march SpongeBob and Patrick out of the depths, right. singing along with their song, and it's like. Yes, that is the Pee Wee Herman inspiration. Right. This weirdo who can't help but love. But anyway, I love how they describe, like, his, like, pitch to um, Nickelodeon executives. They're like, well, one, he came in in a Hawaiian shirt, obviously. He had, like, a a fish diorama, like, a fish tank diorama of all the characters. Mm -hmm. They had Hawaiian music. Apparently, he, like, put a lot of work into, like, pitching it. Um, Like, uh, he had Hawaiian music. Um, apparently the executives excused him out of the room and they were getting nervous, but in reality, they weren't deciding whether or not to greenlight the show. They just wanted to calm down from laughing <laughs> so they could have, like, a professional meeting about, like, what the expectations for this pilot right. was. Um, so it airs May 1st, 1999. Uh, I forgot they tied it in with the Kids' Choice Awards. Like, it was oh. like, see a new Saturday morning cartoon. Like, the first one that was just going to air on the weekends. Mm. Which I really do think helped, because I'm like, oh, yeah, so many of my memories of this show are, like, sitting down, um, like, when I didn't have school or anything, or watching it after, like, football, Mm -hmm. like, peewee football. And, yeah, it's kind of inexplicable how it immediately hit off. Like, going back to the pilot, and I wanted to talk about the pilot a little bit, because... We talk about, like, the rules of a movie. Like, you get used to its visual language, its cadence, its energy... Like, you take so much for granted with Spongebob, because you're like... Should we break fast? Like... Yeah, um, so, Help Wanted, um, the basic premise is, we get introduced to Bikini Bottom, our Jacques Cousteau-esque, uh, narrator right. explains, like, oh, the world of Bikini um, Bottom, an ecosystem yeah. of all these wonderful creatures. Of course he lives in a pineapple. Um, and Spongebob goes to the Krusty Krab, asks for a job, Squidward and Mr. Krabs give him, like, an impossible task to do. Yeah. Yeah. And as the entire restaurant is getting ripped apart by anchovies, Mm -hmm. um, SpongeBob comes in and saves the day to a musical montage sequence. You know. Right. As you do. And then the other two episodes that are in the pilot are a silent, like, visual comedy bit where he's trying to, like, blow a seashell off of his lawn. Right. um, And And him meeting Sandy for the first time and almost suffocating. Okay, here's what I want to say about all, all of these. Like, this first bundle, Help Wanted Reef Blowers and Tea mm. at the Tree Dome. Um, I think this is is a perfect collection for for a pilot mm. for, for a lot of different reasons. First of all, you know, like, as we're preparing for this month, I've been trying to, like, you know, take a more esoteric, as you would say, approach to this and, and think, like, what is the thesis of SpongeBob? What is, like what is the message of Spongebob? What's, what's the point of this character? What's the point of the show? What are we talking about here? And there's a couple different ideas here that all sort of swirl around the same central theme. But Help Wanted really focuses on, on one of them, of, of one of it, it's one of Spongebob's strongest themes, like, you know, kind of piggybacking off of your Pee Wee Herman idea of, like, you being dismissed or or being sort of an outcast or unlike anyone else that you know. Um, and yet, like, your unique thing that you bring to the table being the solution sometimes. Right. When it matters. 
yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah, and 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 that is is what is encapsulated in um, in Help Wanted when he walks in the front door, and then they spend like a minute of him like tripping and like bouncing <laughs> off of the walls, like he he like they they immediately introduce him as this like disaster fumbling idiot, and yet he sort of makes the magic happen in in a way that only he can that is the thesis of of spongebob one of them um so so this episode successfully primes us like for how these for 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 how you know these episodes work how they're organized but for like for who spongebob is and and how he moves around in the world yeah, it is, like, like I said, you get, Spongebob is such an institution, your brain just accepts the rules of Spongebob. Right. You're like, well, yeah, that's how Spongebob works, let's not interrogate this anymore. Right. But watching this pilot for the first time in God knows how long, it's like, the opening shot of this show, the show that Nickelodeon's put a decent amount of money and a lot of good faith in a lot of people, is a painting, a photorealistic painting of a pirate with a, yeah. a synchro Vok mouth. Like an old animation technique where they're like, oh, maybe we could use real human lips yeah. and put them on the animation to like save time. That always looked ghoulish. Okay, wait, um, can we talk about how we, just how much live action is in this first episode? Yes, exactly. <laughs> we have like a realistic fish who's like moves like a magazine cutout. Yeah, we have hands. We have a Krabby Patty when when he's like, constructing the Krabby Patty. Remember? Yeah, that we sequence. have photorealistic. Yeah, there's so much. You watch this and you're like, this is insane that this caught on. Because it's, like, everything all of the time. Yeah. It is so many different art styles. The arts, like, the core art style is this very sketchy expressionist, like, expressionist, like, like wacky cartoon. Yes. It somehow straddles, like, it kind of straddles the line of, like, every major animation studio style. Like, it's got sort yeah. of that, it's got, like, the grungier, sketchier elements of early Nickelodeon, and just a pinch of the gross out, but not to the Ren and Stimpy level right. where it becomes unpalatable. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, it's got this weird arts and crafts element where we have these, like, live-action cutaways and cutouts, mm-hmm. and, like, sort of, like, magazine cutouts, and these, like, musical back sequences with, like, colorful backgrounds. It's got, like, the it's got Looney Tunes, Stoner Kids Like, stuff. Looney Tunes, like, physical, yes. like, physics defying yeah. humor where like half the joke ends up half the joke ends up just being like how a character shaped yes or like how they move <laughs> in a space right like you can get a joke out of a blowfish getting flustered and exploding right um and also like the looney tunes energy of like this weird like underdog outsmarting like the like annoying the establishment mm-hmm. you have the you have this like yeah you have this Wee herman energy of like the character never talks the same more than once at a time. <laughs> yeah. like they have like it's not a voice; it's like seven voices. Right, exactly. And I do love one of the quotes I got was Mr. Krabs' voice actor getting frustrated because like the anim- like the recording booth would be so loosey goosey. He's like, "So you're the director, right? Can I get like direction?" But then like once Tom Kenny comes in and starts like switching from ah, to like. Hello. Yeah, I love like, that. Oh, so this is just the energy we're going for. Right. Yeah, like, oh, we are going for, like, an arts and crafts energy here. Like, a kid's putting on a show energy here. Right. And, can you know, what's so interesting, like, first of all, one of the biggest appeals of SpongeBob is its, like, quotability. That, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that can be attributed to 
like, or, or I should say, like, its longevity can be <laughs> attributed to how quotable it is. And I didn't realize, like, usually those kind of, like, iconic, like, personality traits of these shows develop later into its, right. into its like, run. And I didn't realize how many of the most popular quotes come out of the pilot. Like, re-watching this, I was like, yo, I forgot that some of some of the funniest, like, memes are out of the first episode of right. the show. Like, maybe, arguably, one of the most iconic. I need it. Yeah. It's literally in the first 30 minutes of the show existing. And the, like, it, within the first, like, few um, minutes is the, like, Mr. Krabs doing the, like, the smelly smell that smells smelly. <laughs> I'm like, right. oh my it's god! Insane how like, and it, it's it's just so funny because again, I'm looking over all of this stuff. Like, I got all these interesting quotes from like the making of it. Like, I was reading all of these like oral histories of SpongeBob and like all the different creatives who worked on it talking about it. And it's so weird how like succinct and clear the artistic vision is when in reality the artistic vision is like messy and chaos. Yeah. Like they talked about like how they're like we had to take all of Steve's drawings and, like, make sort of stricter rules because his art style was so, like, loosey-goosey and, like, mm. lines were more of, like, a suggestion than a hard and fast rule. Right. Like, you know, like, all the stuff with voice acting, like, all of the different, like, you know, how they would have so many different pitches. Um, I also, like, I don't know, there's so many different angles we can take this specific conversation, but, like, I also think just... The show's also very unique because it was storyboard-driven at an era where that was kind of getting pushed out. Mm. I want to use this as an opportunity to explain that to the audience. Um, it's kind of coming back in vogue. Like, Steven Universe was storyboard-driven as well. But the idea is, instead of writing a script and then animating, you write an outline, just like, this is what needs to happen in this episode. These are, like, the big things. And then you use storyboard artists to kind of, like, map out, like, the actual plot. Right. And like the jokes and the dialogue mm -hmm. and like i think that captures this show so well because it is like the epitome of cartoony it is wacky and like visually driven like so much of the like so much of its charm comes from like how insane it looks and then yeah. everything naturally growing out of that like the weirdly naturalistic chill dialogue especially in the early episodes wouldn't make sense right. if it didn't look the way it did and you know Where it's like Oh, yeah, this is just a sponge and a star having right. a really domestic conversation. I don't know about you, but, like, as a filmmaker, like, I prefer the storyboard method. I don't know why more writing isn't storyboard-driven anyway. I... Because it's I go the way that you think... Like, at least it's for me, like, storyboarding is the easiest way to get what you're visualizing directly mm. out of your brain. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just suck at drawing, so I go the other well, way. Yeah. But it kind of ties in, like, SpongeBob does feel like it fits into what we were talking about with Spider-Verse in terms of, like, we almost need another word for it. Yeah. Like, it's so many different styles and so much different energy. Like, just calling it animation or X style doesn't feel appropriate for the whole scope. Right, right. Yeah, I like, agree. Like, pop art, modern art feels more accurate. It almost feels like, yeah, the other name for it is just SpongeBob. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's... I so love, like, especially in these first couple of episodes, you really do get, like... I don't know, especially because the first round of episodes are, again, are kind of, like, chiller in terms of, like... I'm trying to think of how to... Well, they're not chill, actually. That's the mm, thing. They're yeah. insane. But, 
like in terms of like voice acting, they're a little less heightened. Like we haven't gotten to like the more right. flanderization where the voices become a little higher pitched and the colors get a little sharper. Yeah. So everything does have that early Simpsons energy of like right. weirdly chill domestic. Yeah, there's something understated about about season one. It's like as I was rewatching this, I'm like, okay, getting into season three, which have some of my more favorite ones, is where it starts. Like it still has its soul, but it does start getting more, like, bombastic. Yeah. And it keeps the same energy, but it... Honestly, the color, more than anything... Like, the color palette, they just take the saturation bar and oh, slide it all the way over. right. Because for, for this recording session, I watched the pilot, I watched my favorite episode. But first I did the pilot, then the movie. And going to the movie oh. is so vibrant. My eyes literally went like, Yeah, your ah, pupils. God, what the yeah. F- my eyes! Right. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's, honestly, there's so many different, uh, so much of this, like, month is going to be rambling about different aspects of Spongebob, yeah. and i kind of just come to accept that's yep. how we're going to roll. That's what it is. But, like, yeah, it's, I, honestly, the, like, first three episodes are so perfect in terms of, like. They are. Oh, yeah, it's, like. It really is like, oh, we are taking like a Simpsons-esque sitcom energy and providing it with wacky, undersea, stretchy characters. You know, the first episode's about him getting a job. Right. It's It has like a boardwalk. Like, he, he basically is a kid at a boardwalk. Like, everything about the energy is like this like surfer bro boardwalk energy that gives it all like, you know, that gives it so much personality. Yeah, I definitely think it, it's commitment, like... So many water puns. I was gonna say it, it's so anchored in in this Hawaiian tropical theme. Are we are we secretly Aquaman? <laughs> no, that, like never. are we like super best friends era Aquaman? You and me. You know what? Maybe so. I Which know. I guess it's just Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. Right. Um. Uh, I lost my train of thought. But There's also too this much like retro about. futurist energy, right? Like the fact that he has this like propeller like spatula oh yeah like all their technology is weirdly like six it's like all like found art like under the sea stuff but also like weirdly retro futurist 60s particularly once you get into sandy and she has like a retro astronaut outfit and she's like right how i breathe and this whole like texas tree dome thing like she's got a whole space like as as any reference of the the isn't that isn't that insane that like the the one character who is tied to the surface world is actually a space person. Like, not even... Like, she's not even themed about... Like, she's not even Earth-themed. She's space-themed. That's right, crazy. because she's in a new world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I keep, like... I keep having an idea and losing it. Like, that's, that's what happens when we talk about things that are exciting. My ADHD just cannot grasp onto yeah. anything. It'll come back. But... Yeah, it's just, like, it's a hell of a thing because, and, like, I wanted to talk about Steven Honberg to start because it really is, like, this kind of, you don't get this weird and esoteric an idea if you don't have, like, a really strong creative lead. But at the same time, as he describes it and as other people describe it, it's also insanely collaborative. Like, Mm. SpongeBob is the perfect storm of, like, 
one single, like, one individual having just a fountain of ideas and specific tastes and stuff, because he liked Jacques Cousteau, and he liked marine biology, but also he was into, like, surfer bro boardwalk culture, like, he was a part of that, and also had, like, all of these interests in, like, Pee Wee Herman-style comedy, but also, like, retro 60s futurist stuff. Like, you don't get something this specific and personal and, like, iconic without having, like, someone at the helm who has all of these different tastes, but at the same at time, the helm. like, yeah, fuck my life. <laughs> um, but like, uh, at the same time, it's like, yeah. But then you also get all of these like established animators from right. like all of Nickelodeon, like all these Rocco's Modern Life people, all of these like people who define like a decade of animation coming in, and like he had been like, and he's and like. Hillenberg doesn't have an, never seemed to have an ego about it. He was like, yeah, I created this, but like I needed, like I needed a team, man. This was a mm-hmm. village. And like, how would any of this work if Tom Kenny didn't show up? Oh, like, don't if even he, get me started. Hillenberg didn't work on fucking Rocco's Modern Life together. Um, I just wanted to say again, like, it is so amazing that like some of the most longstanding jokes or like, yeah, as, as we can call it, like iconography it's crazy that that stuff was truly introduced in the first three episodes. Like, I forgot that Ripped Pants was in episode two, which is, like, arguably one of the most iconic Spongebob episodes ever. Is it on? Right. Yeah, again, it's, like, kind of insane how, like... Again, this madcap energy... Like... It, I remember another thing that like I had again, to say. They had it. they had it in one hit me that um I'm, now i'm having to like go back and like re-edit um that yes like you're you're absolutely right about the 60s like a, a simultaneous like retro like how all of this connects is is because in the 60s tiki and future were like extremely popular like trends like those were the trends of that time so it's like so it makes sense that that there's a combination of like this beach boys groovy but, like, also kind of futuristic, but, like, tiki, like, energy. Mm. Like, this is what people's houses almost kind of look like sometimes, like, in the late 60s. Again, it looked... Yeah, it looks it looks like some kid grew up with all this and then just yes. drew it all together and tossed it into a space. And also, he happened to have a marine biology degree, so right. it's like, well, so fuck it, make him fish. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, like, I don't know. It's something... And, like, there's going to be a lot of big theme ideas for this. We get a lot of abstract ideas. But, like, so what I really like about Steven Hillenberg as a creator is it's, like, you have to have passions outside of just the art form itself. Like, when you're at, I was at NYU. I know, yes, hit the switch, take a shot, whatever. Like, there were so many people who loved filmmaking, who loved, like, the history of film, who loved, like, all the auteurs and stuff. But their actual work just didn't really have anything to it yeah and the kids who made the best stuff were like kids who had very specific interests who were like oh well i wanted to make a film about this thing i like like one of my favorite things was someone knew this whole history about like rush like an attempt to militarize mooses and made a whole animated film about that and it's like art for like animation film whatever Mm -hmm. they're just mediums they're just tools we use to express ideas we have in our heart and like the best artists are people like Steven Hillenberg who just have like really extreme passions and then realize like, Oh, I can express those passions through art. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. I'll do it that way. Right. I feel like we should give 
a little bit of acknowledgement to the voice actors. Oh, yes. Like, I've wondered, I will say, I've always thought about, like, what is a scenario where SpongeBob would just stop? And it's like, whenever the unfortunate day comes where one of the voice actors can't do it anymore, I'm like, that would be it. Because you can't replace them. Exactly. I mean, first of all, like, I say this very unironically. And it's like, as someone who's like, has a passionate interest in vocal performance and voice actors, it's not a light thing to compare anybody to Mel Blanc. But Mm. like, if anybody's close, it's Tom Kenny. Yeah, I mean, shit, you're right. Right. I, I, like, I don't have anything to add. You're just right. It's like... Because it's like... And I'll tell you why. there's ever exactly. an heir to the throne. It's like, voice acting is not just like, let's do a funny voice. Like, here's what... Like, it, people who are also in this realm will, will, will reference a very specific episode of the Looney Tunes as being, like, the defining reference for what made Mel Blanc such a great performer and it's the duck season rabbit season one because Mel Blanc has there's a part where he he's voicing both Bugs and Daffy at the same time but then he does there's a segment where like they start doing impressions of each other so instead of just switching from one voice to the next he like he does the Bugs Bunny voice doing an impression of Daffy and vice versa. <laughs> and, like, that is to this day, like, referenced as, like, what, like, the creme de la creme of the craft of voice acting. And, like, when you listen to these episodes of Spongebob and, like, the way that Tom Kenny, like, throws this and, like, like stretches and throws this voice around, like, mm-hmm. he, he does so many, like, yes, we have him doing this, like, puffed out chest, like, <laughs> Superman type voice that 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 the character does but yeah we also like like this is a performer who can stretch his voice just as as much as the animation is I would argue like that is sort of the craft of it of like taking these visuals and like turning them into a sound and um and I think Tom Kenny is is with the help of Spongebob like definitely one of one of the best voice actors today right and it is like kind of wild i don't know it's like kind of wild because i look over the other roles they've done and they've been in other things but it's oh yeah imagine imagine just like i don't know well tom kenny a lot but the other actors i'm like man imagine how cool it'd be to have your legacy be i was one of the main voices on spongebob like, right. I also love a quote I got for um, Bill uh, Foggerbaki, mm-hmm. where someone, someone, they were doing. It's like a little documentary, and one of them goes, "He's the smartest dumb person I've ever met," which <laughs> kind of makes him perfect for Patrick, right? Especially early Patrick, who like, I've realized so many of our favorite like comedic bits are people who are so assured of their intelligence but are actually really dumb, right? but speak with the utmost authority. Exactly. That's like, Patrick Starr. To a T. Um, like, there's a reason why Roger Bumpus, like, there's a reason why Squidward is now, like, a generational cultural figure for millennials. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you know, there's been so much pontificating about, like, well, yeah, all of the kids who grew up with this became Squidward, so they still relate to it. 
Yeah, I like, and we will like a lot of a lot of the soul of what I think makes SpongeBob unique will come out when we talk about the musical, because that's sort yes. of where it's given its real wings. But like, but yes, millennials are not just Squidward, but SpongeBob in a lot of different ways, and and we can talk about like the parallels between these characters, their lives, and like how that relates to how millennials feel. Right. Um, but, like, okay, really quickly, let's go through this. SpongeBob, as well as a bunch of other characters, that's also the point. Like, they hire these, like, small cast, and then they ask them to, like, fill in background, like, voices, mm-hmm. and, like, or just be, like, a random fish or whatever. Um, Tom Kenny is the voice of SpongeBob. We have Phil Fagerbaki, who in the 80s was, like, in, in some, like, popular sitcoms. Um, he was the voice of Patrick Starr. Mr. Lawrence is his stage name is the voice of um plankton who i am ever impressed with like we can talk about that later too but that's the voice of plankton mr krabs is voiced by clancy brown and who i i did not i did not know who voiced mr krabs for the longest time and then when i'm just listening to a documentary of this guy talking uh, for some reason, YouTube keeps recommending me clips from a video game called Detroit Become Human, which is a horrifically problematic game. But he plays, like, a drunken detective who hates robots. Grr. But then he gets paired with a robot. Grr. And then he's like, wait, I respect robots now. <laughs> okay. Um, so see, hearing that voice connected to Mr. Krabs, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, we already said Roger Bumpus, um, a Squidward. Carolyn Lawrence is Sandy Cheeks. And Karen is voiced by a woman named Jill Talley, who, fun fact, is married to Tom Kenny in real life. Isn't that... That's actually awesome. Like, the greatest thing you've ever heard, that, yeah, the voice of Spongebob and Karen what a, are a couple. Maybe one of my favorite understated jokes from all the Spongebob I've been watching for this is from the movie, Plankton being like, you're as brilliant as the day you said yes. And Karen oh, just goes, I never said yes. <laughs> I love Karen. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, again, that is like the style of this show in a nutshell, that there's like a sci-fi computer bride. Right. Um, <laughs> hanging out at, like, trying to help, like, the evil restaurant chain steal from the other restaurant chain on the boardwalk. Right. <laughs> I, like, um, am so eager to, like, get into what my, like, favorite quotes are. Like, I just can't. We literally have a whole episode that's just called Grab Bag, because we're like, there's just going to be a time when we need to have a few drinks and just yell stuff about this show at each (laughs) other. So let's just grandfather, let's just pencil that in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Any other thoughts you wanted to get in before we give our uh, favorite episodes? No, let's dive in. Like, give me some of your criteria. Tell me how hard this was. Criteria? Okay, well, I, oh, so speaking of, it's it's so fascinating that this is not only a conversation about SpongeBob, but like a conversation about the nature and of cable television. Because right. so many of my memories, as as I'm learning now, watching SpongeBob have to do with me interacting with this device, like because I'm about to reference the DVR. <laughs> like my favorite episodes are the ones that I had recorded and would like insist that nobody delete off of the DVR. <laughs> right, right. So, um, my, uh, can we just say, like, this is so freaking difficult. Oh, wait. 
Right. Can I say something interesting before I get into my favorites? I'm just stalling now. I why did I why did I never realize that the episodes with Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy were titled Mermaid Man One, Mermaid Man Two, Mermaid Man Three. Did you ever notice that until now? That they're called Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy One, Two, Three. That's one of those facts I occasionally remember, but then just forget. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, my my first episode that was one of my favorites is in season two. It's episode four. It's dying for pie and imitation crabs. <laughs> I was hoping this would be one of ours. Yes. So these are the two. Um, the first one, dying for pie, Squidward buys an, an explosive pie bomb. It's a bomb that's that looks like a pie. Um, as a no, gift. No, these aren't pies. No, no. They're from the bomb factory. They're bombs. They're bombs. And then he's like, oh, but I'm prepared to pay. And he's like, nope, these are pies. These are, <laughs> what flavor would you like? Um, so yeah, Squidward gives SpongeBob a bomb. He believes that he has ingested this bomb, thinking it was a pie. And Squidward decides to take him out to like fulfill a bucket list because he secretly believes that SpongeBob is about to explode, literally. Um, it is yes. one of my favorite episodes. In you know, in in preparation for this, like we went back and forth as to whether to like when we're deciding on our favorites, whether or not to isolate this the individual like mini like eleven minute episodes, or did it make sense to keep them paired? And in and at first, I thought like no, let's just like you know. It makes more sense to isolate them. But as I'm rewatching, I'm like, no, these do pair together, like, intentionally. Right. Yeah, it's also, like, yeah, this is... I guess for me, so much of my criteria was, like, thinking about when I was a kid, like, what I would be most excited to sit down and watch. Like, what yes. episode would I be like, fuck yeah, that one's on. Exactly. I didn't swear yet, though. I didn't swear until I was in 12th grade, but... Obviously, yeah. And so, an imitation crabs... Um, is one of the most iconic that has one of the most repeated lines ravioli ravioli great barrier reef mm, that really one <laughs> give me the formioli yeah <laughs> the formioli um <laughs> i i don't know why i get such a kick actually as as you'll see like i get some with such a kick out of the plankton centered episodes but um imitation crabs just has some of the funniest moments um <laughs> right in it you know and i think i love dying for pie because i love the ones that are just like let's romp around town and kind of vibe yeah and that one dying for pie is a is literally a romp around town well it also just captures the energy of the show so well because it's Mm -hmm. about an ecosystem right and we're just following this protagonist so like yeah the plankton ones too where it's like oh yeah a plankton just has to coexist with a sponge how does that work right it's so tiny um, I those those would have been on my list if I didn't trust you would have them on. <laughs> what, um, what are yours? One of my, fi- um, but I just do love. You were supposed to explode <laughs> into a million pieces. You want me to explode? <laughs> yes, that's what I've been waiting for. Gary, mm, Squidward, <laughs> or Gary. Oh my god. Um, but uh, my first is Fry Cook Games and Jellyfish Hunter. So Fry Cook Games, Ooh, if you remember, is there is an Olympics one. that are fast food competitions. It's implied that Mr. Krabs and Plankton have been doing it for years. Um, we see 
Mr. Krabs deadlift a barrel of pickles and also uh, <laughs> Plankton do an onion ring uh, gymnastics routine with a broken antenna. <laughs> and it just shows him, like, balancing, like, <laughs> and you just see a little, like, cast on his antenna. I think I love this episode because of all of the dumb, like, how do we make sports out of food? Right. Like, how, how are we doing this? Right. And so many dumb visual bits, like um, someone doing a high jump and landing on a thing of gelatin. Right. <laughs> um, SpongeBob obviously is representing the Krusty Krab, and Patrick, jealous that he's not allowed to compete, becomes an employee of the Chum Bucket. So they are forced to oh. compete together, leading to them becoming beefed-up versions of themselves <laughs> and wrestling, only to discover that they have matching underwear, <laughs> but in our, their reverse colors. So Patrick wears yellow, and SpongeBob wears pink. <laughs> I love the episodes that are just, like, underline how good friends Patrick and SpongeBob are. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's just dumb bit after dumb visual bit. At one point, uh, Patrick tries to dive over a fryer and inadvertently fries an entire portion of the audience into fish <laughs> into sticks. Fish or he he dives into chocolate, and it just is a photorealistic image <laughs> of a strawberry a ice cream cone with chocolate on <laughs> right. top. Again, it just... Everything you need to know about the dumb, slightly, like, dad joke energy of right. this franchise is captured in this dumb nonsense... Um, and then with the great punchline at the end, you know, these were white when I bought them. <laughs> um, and Jellyfish Hunter, I just, I always loved mm. that episode because I've always loved the song. Hey, all um, you people. SpongeBob. Uh, hey, all you people. Yes, SpongeBob, <laughs> we discover that SpongeBob, cap, you know, he's a jellyfish catcher, but he usually lets them go. But sometimes he'll get jelly from them mm-hmm. because they are jellyfish after all. Again, I also love any episode that thinks of a dumb way to, like, make animal like, domesticate fish animals. Right. So it's like, oh, it's a cow. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, or a bee. I guess bee makes more sense, but I digress. Anyway, so then this guy tries, he sees Spongebob eating it and being like, <laughs> Gives and a has musical this number. whole song. Yeah. Hey, man, you gotta got to try, try this sandwich. <laughs> I and just love it. Yes, at the end, like like it's just so. <laughs> he's standing on top of the cast register, like it's just so funny. <laughs> and again, it's like it's a testament to how strong like the language of SpongeBob is. That's like that's not even the least bit upset. Of course, that's what this would would happen. Right. <laughs> and then Mr. Krabs assumes it's Squidward. Um, right. Yeah. Sure. I just like yeah. Yeah, I love any episode that just has a dumb show tune bit in it. Yes. <laughs> All right, what's your number two? Oh my god, this is so difficult. Because I, I have Paramount Plus open right now, and I'm like looking through yeah, the episodes. I have again. a list of like 12 where I'm like, I might just change my mind before I actually say the episode. Yeah, now. I have like 15. Um, by the way, this is your daily reminder that Paramount Plus is the best streaming service. <laughs> Yes, I'm very annoyed that they're taking some of the um, Star Trek stuff off, which, all again, right. is a byproduct of all of these companies rushing to do streaming and then being like, with many internet companies, like, wait, how do we actually make money from this? And being like, Listen, Fuck. everything that we are about to talk about this month, and I mean everything, can be found on Paramount+. Plus, and that makes it the best. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Um... Oh, okay. This one actually might be like if I'm I wasn't going in any like order order, but I actually think that this next one is my absolute number one favorite episode ever. Really? Yeah. This is season three. 
And, like, this is the one that I go back to all the time. Both of them. Both of the episodes in this one. It's uh, number 18, Missing Identity and Plankton's Army are my favorite <gasps> oh, that's a fun time cut. episodes. First of all, the Missing Identity one has, and I referenced this in the beginning of this episode with the snail po bit, but I just, it has some of the funniest one-liners. <laughs> it opens with, like, I lost something once. Like, this this rainy, like, diner setting where he's just telling the story of losing his identity. Um, but just the whole, like, I... It has so many things that I quote all of the time. Like, good morning, world, and all who inhabit it. <laughs> that inhabited. I would probably say that every day. Um, but also the whole bit where he's, like, retracing his steps with... And it just gets faster Yeah, faster. the most important meal of the day, uh, Gary's away, black. Like, I don't know why I just say that all the time. But the snail pope it, like, gets me every time. Um, and then... And... Yes, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, that's the damnedest thing about going through all these again. I forgot that the we- the inci- like the one-off diner opening yeah. is connected to that episode. Right. <laughs> And then Plankton's Army probably is my, like, favorite of of the two here, just because it is so... First of all, this is the one where Plankton decides to enlist his family member. Like, he calls his relatives of Plankton to, like, yeah, to bombard the Krusty Krabs with a sea of Plankton, and they are all hillbillies. That's so funny to me. Like, that's... That's hilarious to me that, like, his relatives, that he is this is evil genius, genius, quote-unquote, and his, but his relatives are Hicks, like, that is so funny. Hey, Sheldon! Yeah, when he's like, you remember Sheldon. Jim and Bob, Billy Dilly, Billy Dilly, Billy, Billy Banana, <laughs> like, he's going to And, like, like, again, it's even funner <laughs> knowing, like, the history of the show, where it's like, oh, all of that was improv. Right. Like, the My Lane guy was just some random shit someone yelled, right. and they kept it. Where it's like, oh, yeah, they're just like, keep saying things. Right. Um, But the end of that episode always gets me when um, it's revealed that, like, the secret formula is plankton, and they all, like, run away in fear except one of them. And Mr. Krabs is like, why ain't you running? Why can't read? (laughs) Get out of here. And as he's running away, it's like a banjo sound. And he's like, get out of here. Like, he's, like, running. That is I, my that's my number one is Plankton's Army. <laughs> honestly, that one would have been high up for me too because that was one I would watch all the time as well. Yeah. Um, all right, my number two. If I just shows one episode I could randomly watch all the time, weirdly this might be it. Mm-hmm. No free rides. I'm your biggest fanatic. So is it the Kevin no episode? No free rides. It's just yes. <laughs> that's a good no one. free rides i just think is very funny like it's just one of my favorite in terms of comedy where mrs puff distressed that she's gonna have to do another year of boating school with spongebob <laughs> realizes she can game the system by giving him quote-unquote extra credit leading extra to one of the greatest credit. bits in spongebob history it's extra credit oh no another year with him oh neptune Ex- and then Okay. Yeah, that's my favorite meme from SpongeBob. <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> we're oh, we're off the fucking chain, people. You're gonna have fun. This I hope you have fun because we're gonna have fun. Um, but yeah, he um, so she's like write a three word essay about what, what I, I learned, learned in boating school, school today. <laughs> and Pat, SpongeBob has a meltdown, <laughs> and she just goes blankety, blankety, blankety. blankety. 
Oh my gosh. And then realizing the grave mistake she's made, that she will get... And then there's like a dream <laughs> sequence where SpongeBob's just killing everyone in Bikini Bottom, including running over the realistic <laughs> fish head newscaster. Yes. <laughs> um, she steals his car... And in the middle of the night, yeah. Like, one of my favorite lines in any Spongebob thing. And why are you wearing that ski mask? Because you're, you're not, not skiing! skiing. <laughs> or when he's getting, like, ripped to shreds because he's, like, stretching out against the car trying to keep up. <laughs> um, but, yes. And then, like, the embodiment of the randomness of Spongebob. He takes off the mask and goes, Mrs. Puff. And then it just cuts Ooh. to, like, an uh, individual shot of him, like, flicking his lips, like, <laughs> um, Yeah, it's just my favorite in terms of, like, pure entertainment. And then I'm Your Biggest Fan, where we get introduced I to Kevin, the jellyfish legend. this episode. Like, I'm so glad you brought um, up this episode. It's one of my favorites, too. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite memes from the show, uh, Patrick just keeps touching everything. Uh, touch. touch. Don't touch. No touch. I, I have to follow you everywhere. I from that episode, I love like the loser loser. Hey, I've heard this call before. Um, there's yeah, they like I. Uh, oh wait, we didn't explain the episode. Oh, sorry. Um, yes, so they go to a jellyfishing museum. This guy Kevin, who's supposed to be the greatest jellyfisher, is giving a talk, and then SpongeBob keeps like bothering him, so he tries to like. Kevin tries to prank him right. and inadvertently summons a gigantic jellyfish to terrorize the community. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm only so in funny. it for the fashion. <laughs> like, just the close-up of his, like... I just love the, like, the nematodes with him that are like, meet me, Kevin's a genius. Like, I love... I don't know why that Meet me. Um, that is one of my favorite episodes as well. That's a good one. Yeah. And then they take off his crown and give it to Spongebob. I didn't know this was a hat! And then that's a rip of skin. It wasn't. Um, All right, what's your third? Okay, Um, this is an interesting one. Um, In the same season as the last one. It is Wet Painters and the Krusty Krab Training Video. Oh, yes. (laughs) These ones are classic. First of all, I... I love the Wet Painters episode. Um, SpongeBob and Patrick are painting Mr. Krabs' house. They've been told that it's permanent paint. And if they... Also, his house is, like, maximalist, like, decked out in, like, ev- every wall. Yeah, tchotchkes. Every wall is a gallery wall. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and <laughs> they are given instructions not to get paint on anything at all but the wall... And it's very permanent paint. And if they do, he's going to cut off their butts and mount them on the wall above his mantle. Um, and Which we see in a dream sequence. Yes. It's, it's funnier than you think it would be. Right. And this is just a good one because, like, it's it's it, this is the Looney Tunes energy of taking a single gag and, like, stretching it for as long as you can. Because it's just, like, the whole episode is about them trying to get the paint open and then getting the paint onto the walls. It's two tasks that like somehow take up the entire episode. And I just was found myself cracking up when he's getting this paint open and Patrick is just like, careful SpongeBob, careful SpongeBob, careful SpongeBob, careful SpongeBob. <laughs> Patrick, I haven't even I haven't even started yet. Oh my god. Um, that is But 
And then yeah. the Custer Crab training video. A classic. Like, again, some yeah. of the most quotable moments of this whole show are from this, like, old, like, Wendy's style <laughs> training video that apparently was commonplace in, like, the 90s and 80s for I guess, you to start a new job and to, like, be yeah, given this have, video like, to watch. Yeah, speak. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but you have this industrial film. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's what it's called. Industrial. Sounds like a lot of blah. Like a brick just comes out of, or the um, <laughs> the poop. Like I'm like, I would have never found a poop joke funny. But it's it's not even a poop joke. It's just the word poop. People order our Can I just patties. Say, that episode drove me insane because I always thought the episode, they cut the episode off early when he, so he's about to say what the secret formula is and it cuts off. That was our generation's The Sopranos yes. ending on a cut to black. Right. Where I'm like, what? <laughs> and every time I watch it, I'm like, maybe they won't cut it off this time. Right. Maybe we'll streaming. know. Nope. <laughs> um, yes, that, um, it's also just so funny you mentioned the painting episode because they even said, like, after we got through the season one pitch Bible that we made to, like, pitch the show, like, coming up with ideas was difficult. One time we wanted to go to the beach to see if that would spur ideas, but it was too cold, so we just sat in the car. Um, and they're like, yeah, we would just put, like, nouns on sticky notes and put them around. And it's like, yeah, it literally was, like, one-word things or, like, improv games where it's like, I have to open a paint can. Uh, okay, all right, how do we get there? Mm -hmm. uh, how do we go from there? Right. Captures it perfectly. Right. <laughs> um, yes, I have one more for this discussion. I mean, I have like 20 more, but I think we agreed to keep it three, so this episode isn't three hours. Yeah. Um, so my third one's going to be a little unexpected. The Sponge Who Can Fly, a.k.a. The Lost Episode. Oh. So That has a cool song I in really it, too. I really wanted to include... Yes, I really wanted to include at least one... Patchy um, the Pirate. One sort of... Yes, one Patchy the Pirate and one sort of event episode. I thought it was important yeah. to get, like, the spirit of, like, how hyped these events were. And this one was called The Lost Episode. It's like, there's a secret episode of SpongeBob, and it's coming out. Um, and it starts with this whole elaborate Patchy sequence where he goes on an odyssey to get it. Uh, maybe one of the most insane bits in the show's history. He puts the tape in, and it's just a series of walk cycles. Yeah. With progressively goofier, like, poses. Right. Um, he gets so upset that he rips his underwear off. <laughs> and then the real episode is just about Spongebob wanting to fly like the jellyfish and it turning into this little musical adventure when he accidentally puts a uh, blow dryer in his pants and it inflates them. <laughs> I just, out of all of, like, the events, out of, like, Spongebob's house party, Plankton, Mr. Krabs, friend or foe, uh, like, the, the, the 100th episode, this one was my favorite. I just think, you know, it's the silliest, it's the most fun, and it's the most earnest, and it gives us arguably the best patchy sequence we get in the entire show. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. Okay, wait, we got we have to do an honorable mention. Yes, hit me with one. Or okay. rattle off twelve, whichever you okay. feel like. <laughs> if you insist, um, we have to talk about the magic conch. <laughs> it's the episode yes. is called Club SpongeBob, but it's the magic conch. <laughs> I yes. refuse to do the tongue. Thing. I wanted one of those so bad growing up. My favorite gag from that episode, okay, for those of you that have not, which, shame on you, go watch it. <laughs> um, they, like, are in a club that, like, okay, it's, it's Spongebob and Patrick, and by accident, Squidward 
that they like launch themselves into they're like stranded in in the middle of a forest and part of their club is listening to this conch shell that almost acts like a like an eight ball where they like pull the string and it says commands to them of like yes or no or try again later or maybe and so like they like (laughs) this they're hungry and they're dirty and they're like lost in the forest and this like plane opens up and like drops a picnic onto them but they have to ask the conch before they can eat and my favorite gag is squidward going can i have something to eat like he's repeatedly asking it and the conch is like no but then like the last time he's like can i please have something to eat and the conch is like no (laughs) like i just love that like the conch is like taunting it's, again, him. It's Looney Tune shit. It's just like a comedy of ma- it's like this comedy of manners Looney Tune shit where they're just like having a just doing a back and forth and getting progressively angry. Right. Um, like what? What other ones? All of uh, them. I'm very partial to Artist Unknown. Okay. Where Squidward this is decides a special to start episode. Art school. Yes. It's a very special episode. First of all, uh, I've mentioned to you about that YouTube video that I saw. Like, this dude, guy who's, like, an art historian on YouTube, like, broke down that episode to, like, define, like, like, uh, like from, like, a critical art perspective of, like, what makes good art and compared that with, like, the Doodle Bob episode. It's, it, like, I love that episode. Anyway, what were you saying? Well, I was just going to explain. Squidward opens an art school, SpongeBob enrolls, and it turns out SpongeBob is just a prodigy. Um, my favorite bit is uh, draw a perfect circle, and SpongeBob does it. And it's like, how did you do that? Well, first I drew this face, and it's like a sort of classical artist drawing. Right. Then I remove some of the features, and bop, 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 a circle uh, thingy. Uh, a circle. He taps a marvel once, and it turns into a beautiful recreation of David. And Squidward, so frustrated, finally just starts smashing things to bits and inadvertently creates a masterpiece that he doesn't uh, take credit for. Right. I just, I don't know. As someone who loves Amadeus, I love this Solieri uh, relationship they have where Squidward can't stand that the dumb yellow guy is better than him. Right, right. No, that is a good um, the episode. Epi- or the B episode for that is actually Sailor Mouth. Oh, right, yeah. Um, yeah, that that would have been an honorable mention for me, too. As I mentioned, Sailor Mouth is a good one. Artist Unknown just has some of the best, like, one, again, another good one-liner. And people have um, that painting that Squidward did, um, Bold and Brash. Is bold that what it's called? Bold and Brash. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> but, like, Ooh, you can... And without missing a beat, the janitor goes for the alley-oop and just actually throws it in the trash. Right. <laughs> um the but like that bold and brush painting can be found online like people have recreated it and are like oh, selling yeah. it um yeah i just oh man i all right all right all right we're allowed one more each if you want otherwise we're never going to end this episode oh uh, it's so hard because it's like we could talk about episodes or we can just like really what it is is just like our favorite moments you know what right. I mean? It's like, um, I'm I'm trying to find, I don't remember the name of the one where, like, Mr. Krabs is trying to, like, hang out with Spongebob and, and the Patrick. The Panty Raid. <laughs> I guess you're gonna miss the Panty Raid. The Panty Raid. <laughs> Can you feel Which, it, Mr. God, Krabs? what a retro, what a pre-internet <laughs> right? idea. <laughs> like, talk about, like, the you 60s. You break into someone's house and steal their things. Yeah. <laughs> As a joke. Um... That would be, like, 
you know, I, I feel like the Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy stuff, like, needs its own separate... <laughs> Gets me every time. Yeah. Um, you, oh, you know which one I weirdly love? Oh, I forgot about this episode. Okay. Oh, my God. And it's, it, it apparently aired on my birthday. Because Paramount Plus really? has the date. February 22nd, 2002. It's the snowball effect oh and I've... one crab's trash. So this is the Smitty Warbin Yangerman Jensen episode. <laughs> Oh God, I uh, one of the greatest like back and forth. It's like, oh my God, you're gonna take turns eating my insides and then use my bones for kindling. And uh, <laughs> the skeleton just goes, "That's disgusting." I just want the hat back. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm actually looking up what is the first ever episode to air on my birthday. Oh God. Okay, wait. Can I tell another joke? That no SpongeBob episodes have aired on my birthday in August. Oh. Maybe it's too close to back well, to school. Well, in August, but not on my actual birthday. You oh. Know, the Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy episode in Pickles was August 21st. No so that's Pickles. the closest I can get. That's a good one. That episode. How did we not mention what that What an episode? insane episode. Yeah. Um, it's hot fun in that order. <laughs> we, and there's of, my car keys. Oh, <laughs> and there's my car keys. That is a good one. His tall tongue is like up. Um... Okay, wait. The episode where they first introduced the chump bucket, like episode three, has one of my, my like favorite understated jokes in it. Um, when like Plankton like implants something into SpongeBob's head and like walks him like to the Krusty Krab to like get a Krabby Patty right. and then walks him to the chump bucket. When he's like walking him like into the chump bucket holding this Krabby Patty, they come in the doors and he's like, "There's nobody in here." <laughs> Plank that's like don't remind me <laughs> like it's just like little tiny bits like that that I don't know why they like tickle me so much <laughs> you don't realize how saturated and dense every yeah. single <laughs> is until you sit down and watch one and you're like god there's literally like 12 iconic things right. in this 11 minutes and it's every episode it's literally every episode three years worth of episodes full. Okay, wait. Three years of just home runs. We're forgetting something um, absolutely vital to SpongeBob. Pizza delivery. Ripping pants. How did he throw us? We are We're fools. fired. <laughs> That's it. We're so Where's fired. the samurai sword? It's Chofer. <laughs> uh, well, yep. It's yep, gonna, it's time. I'm on my knees here. <laughs> I'm shine the sword. Do, 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 just do, do. gonna... Um, pizza delivery. Uh, What's wrong with us? Honestly, it's the most SpongeBobby moment that there's ever been, where he's just without saying, without questioning it, delivering this pizza that was inexplicably made from a hamburger, right? <laughs> and just beatboxing, crusty crab pizza. Is the pizza? Um, my favorite gag, obviously, is when he's there, like he's getting taken away by this like tornado, and. He's like, what about that customer? And Squidward's like, who cares about the customer? Well, I do. Well, I don't. And the storm just stops <laughs> for him to be like, Squidward. <laughs> just, whoa. <laughs> Everything you need to know about SpongeBob is, is in character that right episode, there. yeah. <laughs> um, my personal favorite, and it's something that I've quoted in my own work, is from Ripped Pants when he decides to pretend to drown and goes, I need a tailor. A tailor. Because I ripped my pants. <laughs> and then he's going through his list of yes. like different um, pants bits. Pretending goes, to Pretending drown. to drown. No. 
<laughs> I have that in one of my films, just a little, like, sign that says, pretending to drown. No. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap I'm up chapter one delirious. of uh, our sponge odyssey? No, yeah, cut I, us off. We're going to need like, to take a minute between episodes. Cut us off before... Well, you know what? I will end with a little quote that I really like that kind of sums up SpongeBob as a character. Mm-hmm. So this was from Tim Hill, one of, one of the early collaborators on the whole SpongeBob thing. <clears throat> SpongeBob is not cool. He's not aspirational, Hill noted. He just wants to go to work and be happy. There's an innocence to him, and it's definitely a winning quality. He sees the good in a horrible person. Steve thought he had a responsibility and was very clear about the moral code, a code Steve himself seemed to live by, the virtues of optimism, courage, the righteousness of industrial ador, and the importance of triumph over fear and elitism, the value of being in the moment unfazed by fads. We are all goofy optimists who don't care what the cool kids think. Nice. That's perfect. And until our ocean horn wakes us up for another (laughs) perfect day, I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on Earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month.